Hello. And welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents, where we take deep, irreverent dives into lesser-known stories about the early American presidents and founders. I'm Howard Dory. I'm Jessica Dory. And this week we are concluding our Paranormal Presidents two-parter with two tales of otherworldly encounters. This is exciting. Do you remember the first time you saw The Blair Witch Project? Yes, in the theater. Any specific memories or thoughts around that? <laughs> um, it was terrifying. And I remember getting a little dizzy. Okay. I think yeah. I even had to step out at one point. I've always been The shaky sensitive. cam got yeah, to Yeah, the shaky cam made an impact. But I always thought it was really well done. And, you know, you didn't see a lot of fake documentaries then. Yeah. So... I was in high school when it came out, and I was sure that it wasn't real. But the tools to like look things up and know for sure, they weren't so readily available. I remember it being like in the middle of the night, and I was going to the website. And it was creepy, and it made everything look so real. There was definitely a whole conversation at the time about whether or not it was real. Even though, I mean, it was pretty clear that it was a fake documentary. But Yeah, the marketing was brilliant. But the marketing was well done. Yeah, uh, We're going to look at two tales today that were sort of like found footage movies of their day. Hmm. Paranormal stories that are framed as 100% real events. The first is based on a Tennessee legend that probably inspired the Blair Witch Project. Ooh, origin story. It's the story of Andrew Jackson and the Bell Witch. The Bell Witch? Yeah. The second story is about a book written from beyond the grave by my favorite early president. John Quincy? That's right. He wrote a book from the grave? Huh. Okay. First, I want to show you a picture here. Take a look at this and describe what you see. I see a sign that says Bell Witch, and there's a long description on it. Yeah, it's a historical marker in the town of Adams, Tennessee. If you go to the next picture, it's zoomed in. Bell Witch. To the north was the farm of John Bell, an early prominent settler from North Carolina. According to legend, his family was harried during the early 19th century by the famous Bell Witch. She kept the household in turmoil, assaulted Bell, and drove off Betsy Bell's suitor. Even Andrew Jackson, who came to investigate, retreated to Nashville after his coach wheels stopped mysteriously. Many visitors, <laughs> they didn't have AAA back then, uh, many visitors to the house saw the furniture crash about them and heard her shriek and sing and curse. Oh my goodness. Pretty good, right? This is pretty good. It's a, I like that that sign. It's not just a historical sign. It's kind of it's a little story. Yeah, on and a it, sign. it's it sounds convincing because you know it's real if it's on a sign. Well, you would think. Yeah, one thing I've learned from researching stuff like this is that there's no standard for historical markers. As I've learned that as well from your research. Yeah, the only thing they mark for sure is the fact that at one point somebody put up a marker. <laughs> So let's dig into the legend of the Bell Witch and all those details behind how the Bell Witch harried the Bell family. I thought it was maybe hurried, but it no. is harried. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were quite harried. My eyes are not as good as your eyes. We, we both know that. <laughs> the Bell Witch is a legend. It goes back to 1817 in Tennessee, where for a four-year period, some kind of entity terrorized the Bell family. Uh, most of what we know comes from this book. First published. Are you hiding that yeah. among my mother's shoes? You know, no, it just happened to be here. Your mom's into some weird shit. I don't know. <laughs> it happened to be in the house or among her shoes. Um, 
It happened to be on eBay. Okay. Oh, so you got this from eBay. I did get this from eBay. It's funny how unaware of your purchases I am. Can you you read... could get away with so much and I wouldn't know. Oh, read that this title is for cool. us. Yeah, this was first published in 1894. This is a reprint, I think, from the, the 1960s. And you paid $2 for it. <laughs> uh, That's cool. Well... That's the price tag on the book. How much did you pay for it? I'm just you know, curious. it doesn't really matter. This, by just the way, is a good time to plug our Patreon. Oh, Support cool. our podcast and we can buy more <laughs> weird little books like this. Uh, go ahead, read the okay. title. It's called Authenticated History of the Bell Witch and Other Stories of the World's Greatest Unexplained Phenomenon. Yeah, thank you. And this is by M.V. Ingram. You might be tempted to question the authenticity of this story. But it says but right there in the title. Authenticated. Authenticated. So, yeah. Wow. It has pictures. Oh, yeah. It's it's authenticated. The woman in this picture is as large as the horse. Okay. All right. Here. Okay. Hand, me, hand me the book. I want to... Can we it's, just look through this? Okay. Fine. You can look through can it later. It back. <laughs> Before it even gets to the chapter on Andrew Jackson, the book explains in detail what the Bell family went through. So this, this spirit, this thing... It first manifested itself as a strange dog-like creature Ew. or a bird of extraordinary size. So like a dinosaur? Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> or a girl in a green dress swinging from a tree. Oh, not like hanging. I don't think okay. so. It, it wasn't it's like spooky. That just got really dark. Then the sound started. At night, the family heard the sounds of rats gnawing vigorously on the bed, dogs fighting and chains being dragged across the floor. Chains. But there were no rats and no dogs. So the whole family heard noises, and they had their blankets pulled off of them constantly. Well, that's creepy. Right? That's a very, you know, conjuring moment right there. Totally, and it probably inspired a lot of these haunting stories. Mm. Young Elizabeth, or Betsy Bell, she seemed to be the primary target, and she was slapped and pinched and poked with pins. She even would go to stay over at friends' houses to try to get away, but it would follow her there. Oh, see, that's my worst fear. Like, uh, what is that movie? Poltergeist? No. Sleeping with the Enemy? No. The one where it follow the demon follows her. Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. Or it doesn't matter where she goes, it follows her. That's terrifying yeah, to me. Yeah, speaking of found footage. <laughs> speaking of found footage, you just can't escape. That's terrifying, and I love that. Yeah, and that either tells you the demon is connected to her, or maybe it's some kind of trick that she is pulling. Yeah, like a hoax. Yeah. Eventually, the family called in friends to, to witness what was going on, and they determined that whatever was doing this was intelligent because it would become silent when they spoke to it as if it was listening. Over months, they coaxed it to finally talk to them, and it started talking first in this like whistling, creaky voice, and then finally it learned to talk in a voice they could understand, and it told them, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. Ooh. Who disturbed the spirit? Well, then it told them it was a spirit of someone buried in the woods nearby. But their grave had been disturbed and the bones scattered. One of the teeth, somehow, ended up underneath the bell house. Oh. So, thinking of Poltergeist, Amityville Horror, they kind of have their roots in the story because it turns out that the bells had built their house right by an Indian burial ground. And some of the kids had kind of dug it up. And I guess there was a story where they'd taken a jawbone they found in the ground into the house, threw it against the wall, and a tooth had fallen under the house. Oh. So the father, John Bell, or Old Jack, he made the kids rebury the jawbone, but the tooth was probably still somewhere under the house that had fallen through a crack. Oh, teeth are, you know, continue. Yeah, they are, though. 
they're really can get in places. Often. Do you ever have that dream where your teeth are loose or falling out? Yes, definitely. What is that about? Um, poor hygiene. <laughs> they found the crack where it had fallen and they like actually dug it up and they dug up a little bit under the house and they couldn't find the tooth. And then the spirit started laughing and said, ha ha, that's just a joke, old Jack. Oh. Made you dig your house up. Ha ha. Oh, gosh. So now so the spirit like is a not malicious only... spirit. Yeah, definitely. So this spirit, this witch, this goblin, or Kate, as they came to call it. Um, it <laughs> How w- do they know it was a woman? It had a feminine kind of voice, I believe. The creaky voice was yeah, a feminine voice? Apparently. Okay. And they were misogynistic. Who knows? <laughs> so Kate, or the witch, would start having long conversations with the family. And she was clairvoyant and could recite sermons that were happening miles away. And she would sometimes even warn them of danger. It was a really weird relationship. This is not a normal haunting. Yeah, it's like an abusive relationship. Yeah. It's and like, she, they're, yeah. you know, she's abusing them, but also protective. Totally. And she apparently loved the wife, Mrs. Bell. Adored her, Which never bothered she her. pinched her all the time. No, that was the daughter. She would pinch the daughter all the time? Yeah, she loved Mrs. Bell, but she tormented young Betsy endlessly. Oh, got it. And she hated John Bell Sr., old Jack. The witch made it clear that her goal was to torment old Jack to death. Oh, no fun. No. Eventually, it wore this guy down to the point where he knew that he couldn't survive this thing. Would it follow him as well if he left? I don't know if it would follow him, but it would certainly terrorize him in the home and on the grounds. Okay. There's a story that he's walking with his son and his shoes keep flying off. And his son keeps tying them as tight as he can. And then as soon as he starts walking, the shoes fly off again. Oh, that's very bizarre. That's a bad witch. Don't take my shoes. Right? One morning, the family found John Bell unable to rouse in his bed. And one son went to grab his medicine from the medicine cabinet. The witch got him. Yeah. Okay. The medicine was gone. In its place was one vial of a mysterious, dark, murky liquid. Ew. That no one had ever seen before. They called the doctor in, and the witch starts laughing, and they can all hear it. And she said that the vial was hers, and she gave a good dose of it to John the night before, and he would never wake up again. She murdered him. That's what it's looking at. Everyone there heard this voice say that? According to this authenticated book. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That you can't, that was written in 1894 about events that took place in 1820. So how are you going to argue with that? There's pictures. It even has pictures. Yeah, it did have pictures. So they, they had this murky liquid. Do they have a picture of this particular story? There is a picture of John Bell in bed and everybody like, uh oh. By the way, this book is really fun to hold because the pages have like a flexibility to them and the cover is kind of pretend leather. It's just really cool. Okay, you found a picture. So everyone's playing with the dog and yes, there's old Jack in bed. What's going on with it? Or is that a cat? That's a cat. So they decided to test this murky liquid. They gave it to the cat? They gave it to the cat and it, yeah. I don't know what to say about that. That's just screwed up. It's not cool and it doesn't end well. Really not okay. I agree. What, I mean, why why test it on anybody? I, I don't know. This is just the story. They're like, I wonder if this is poison. We don't want to test it on a person. Right. But why test it on their pet? Yeah. I can't endorse their testing method. No. So after that, they took the vial and they threw it into the fireplace and it exploded in a big burst of blue. <laughs> And John Bell died. Is that old Jack? That's old Jack. Oh, so yeah, he's dead. He's dead. The witch did what she said she was going to do. Okay. 
Then after his death, the Bell Witch stopped tormenting Betsy and instead started consoling her more than any of her friends. Betsy eventually becomes engaged to a man named Joshua Gardner. But the witch warns her, begs her not to marry him. Incessantly, she's like torturing Betsy. Do not marry him. Please do not marry him. Why? Does she give her a reason? We don't know. We never know. This witch has like borderline personality disorder or something. It's it's a strange witch. Yeah, she's just flip flops on her motives and the, what you really want in a torment. witch is consistency, and you're not getting it. Right, I know, and it's that's the worst. Part. Really unfortunate. Yeah, if you go home every night and you're like, okay, there's going to be gnawing, there's going to be blankets moving. That's one thing. Right. But if from day to day you don't know if she's going to try to break yeah. up your relationship, yeah. The witch has a mental illness. I'm afraid. I mean, that's the only explanation for the the flip flop of motives. Looking at the history, there's no other conclusion that that. This real witch had a mental illness, and that explains everything. (laughs) Um, So it gets so bad that eventually Betsy breaks off the engagement because she thinks it's the only way to live in peace again. As soon as she dumps Joshua, the witch never bothered her again. Wow. So it's like you have these two things on a scale, the love of my life or getting my life untormented. And sometimes um, you end up with the love of your life and it's still tormenting, but you make it work. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not talking about anyone in particular. Are what? You? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Mm-hmm. You can torment me anytime. Oh, really? Within reason. <laughs> so that's the story of the Bell family. So the one theory was that, you know, maybe Betsy was making everything up. There's another theory that the guy she went on to marry, maybe he was behind the whole thing and just wanted to get rid of Joshua and John Bell so that he could have Betsy to himself. Everyone loves Betsy. Every, Betsy was supposedly just beautiful and had the eyes of everyone in the town. And she was, I think, called like the fairy queen of the haunted Dell. Wow. Yeah. That's a, I feel like that's a title Emerson would love. <laughs> yeah, our daughter would definitely gravitate toward that. Halloween idea. Oh, cool. Costume. She wants to be Rey. From Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Not from Ghostbusters. No, unfortunately. Not Dan Aykroyd's character from <laughs> Not Ghostbusters. Ray. Not Rey. That would be really fun, though. Not Ray Liotta either from Goodfellas. <laughs> no, no. No. We already did our Ghostbusters theme That was many pretty good. moons ago. You made quite the Dana Barrett. And you made quite the Rick Moranis. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so that's the story of the Bell family. And according to this book, at some point during the hauntings, the farm got a visit by none other than Andrew Jackson. He came to this house because of the stories. Oh, yeah, he wanted to check it out. Even though this girl, Betsy, probably made the whole thing up to get rid of men she didn't want. We don't know. I mean, um, that's, that's where I'm putting my money. <laughs> so before we get to Jackson, I want to read something that was reportedly written by William Bell, Betsy's brother, about the threat of the Bell Witch. He wrote... Courageous men in battle line may rush upon bristling bayonets and blazing musketry and face the roaring cannon's mouth because they can see the enemy and know who and what they are fighting. But when it comes to meeting an unknown enemy of demonstrative power with gall upon its tongue and venom in its bosom, heaving bitter curses and breathing threatenings of dire consequences, which one knows not of nor can judge in what shape or form the calamity is to come, The stoutest heart will prove a coward, faltering and quivering with painful fear. Ooh, that's quite a description. Poison in her bosom? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It just like brings a whole bunch of weird visuals. So this kind of setup of a man ready to battle anything 
like Andrew Jackson Mm -hmm. and some unknown force. That's what I wanted out of this story of Mm -hmm. Andrew Jackson and the Bell Witch. That's the showdown I needed. Right. Did you get it? You don't always get what you want. Oh, no. What you get a little weirder. Mm -hmm. So the chapter about Jackson, it comes from a letter written by a Colonel Thomas L. Yancey, a prominent lawyer in 1894. Yancey grew up just a few miles from the Bell House. And in the letter, he shared what his grandfather had told him that he witnessed himself. So, I mean, this kind of makes me think about Rawhead and Bloody Bones and Mm -hmm. how grandmothers were the ones responsible for scaring the hell out of their grandkids and (laughs) passing on these stories. Yeah. This kind of sounds like that. (laughs) In the letter, Yancey starts out by saying that his grandfather witnessed things with his own eyes and ears that he couldn't explain. Mm -hmm. That something was terrorizing young Betsy Bell in her bed at night. And that several adults together could not keep her blankets on her when this thing was determined to pull them off. Wow. A strong ghost. Yeah. And that he heard the sound of a hand slapping her jaws, and she would scream in pain with deep red splotches left on her cheeks. Wow. Then he segues into the story of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I just feel like you're such a critic. You're always a critic of the ghost stories. Not that I believe this happened, per se, but... I could tell you something that happened, you know, in my childhood or youth, and you're like, yeah, but that really happened. Any story you've told me, and even up till now, what we've talked about sounds like, oh, that's creepy. That's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Who knows? What I'm about to tell you about Andrew Jackson doesn't quite fit in with everything we've heard up until now. Hmm. So you might be a critic, too. Okay, let's hear it. So as the story goes, Jackson and a group of friends, they wanted to have a good time. So they came from Nashville to investigate the witch and camp out on Bell's grounds. Wow. So their party is approaching his home. They're talking about what they're going to do to the witch when suddenly the wagon halts (laughs) and it's stuck. It's like the equivalent of your car breaking down. Kind of, except it defies the laws of physics. The horses are pulling as hard as they can. Jackson's men get out and they push the wagon, but it won't move. The wheels are each taken off one by one and inspected, and hey, they're wheels. (laughs) So they're stumped. And that's when Jackson apparently throws up his hands and says, By the eternal, boys, it is the witch. And that's when they hear a sharp metallic sound coming from the bushes. And it says, All right, General, let the wagon move on. I will see you again tonight. Okay. Yeah, then Jackson probably puts his hands on his hips. I'm just imagining (laughs) that. And he says, By the eternal, boys, this is worse than fighting the British. Oh, wow. Jackson says, by the eternal, before pretty much everything he says in this this story. Um, (laughs) You you might wonder if he really talked like that. Did he really talk like that? Um, Can you read that word right there? Authenticated. Authenticated. (laughs) Yeah, so that's right. That must be I think that answers your question. (laughs) So after the witch says this, the wagon moves along fine. But his men are scared to camp out, so they're going to stay in the bell house. One of the men is not scared because he is a professional witch layer who'd been bragging about his power over evil spirits. Wow. So this guy, he came armed with a huge horse pistol. <laughs> um, a horse pistol. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's loaded with a silver bullet, mm. which I guess is how you kill a witch. I think we got our folklore mixed up. I'm pretty sure a silver bullet will kill anything, though. So. <laughs> this guy was a big man with long hair, high cheekbones, a sharp hawkbill nose, and fiery eyes. Okay. So the story has all these details, except it doesn't give him a name. Oh, no. Which is how you know it's real. So Mr. Bell welcomed the famous General Jackson and his friends into his home. He pulls out all the stops to entertain him. But after a while, Jackson's like, hey, 
I came here to see a witch. <laughs> By the eternal, <laughs> where is the bell witch? So the party sets up in a room of the house with just a candle to light it. And the witch lair just keeps telling stories of his conquest. He has this magic black cattail that when he rubs it on his nose. I'm grossed out. Cats already are the losers of this story. Um, it's really unfortunate. So you're talking about an actual tail, not a plant? Correct. Ugh. Supposedly, when he rubs it on his nose, it will flash a light on the witch that only he can see. <laughs> yeah. It's authenticated. It's authenticated. After hours of his stories and no witch, Andrew Jackson finally stretches and yawns, and he turns to his friend and says, By the eternal. <laughs> I'll bet that fellow is an errant coward. By the eternal. <laughs> I do wish the thing would come. I want to see him run. Not long after that, they hear dainty footsteps prancing on the floor and the same metallic voice that they'd heard before saying, All right, General, I'm on hand, ready for business. <laughs> and so now the witch says to the witch lair, Now, Mr. Smarty, here I am, shoot. He rubs his nose with a cat's tail, Ew. he aims, and he shoots. Does he hit Andrew Jackson? <laughs> and that's how we get another bullet uh, in him? Right. No. It's the fifth bullet that's lodged in his soul? <laughs> no, but just like another encounter with an assassin trying to kill Andrew Jackson, the gun doesn't fire. Wow. And the witch says, try again. He shoots again and nothing. Hmm. And then the witch or the spirit or the goblin or whatever this thing is starts physically and verbally assaulting him. The dinosaur. Yeah, the dinosaur lady yelling, now it's my turn. Look out, you old coward, hypocrite, fraud. I'll teach you a lesson. And she starts whacking him and they see him react to these invisible punches and they hear the sound of flesh slamming against him. He's shoved onto the ground and he gets back up and he starts running around screaming, oh, my nose, my nose, the devil has got me. Oh, Lordy, he's got me by the nose. <laughs> so this is the, the witch slayer from before. Who, the witch lair. The witch lair. Yeah. What's the difference between a lair and a slayer? Um, that's you a great question. Lay the witch down to rest. Yeah, a slayer slays and a lair lays. <laughs> oh, thanks you for gotta, clearing that you up. You got to know when to fold <laughs> Okay, so this man is now um, very cowardly and yes. running away. Okay, yes. Just like Jackson had hoped. Yeah, exactly. Then the door flies open and the witch lair zips out jumping like he's being kicked in the butt down the road. <laughs> like some kind of old cartoon of like a wolf in a hen house. Right. Andrew Jackson thinks this is hilarious. He's rolling on the ground laughing his ass off. And he says, by the eternal boys, I never saw so much fun in all my life. This beats fighting the British. <laughs> ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum. <laughs> Um, the witch joins in the laughter with Andrew Jackson and proving yet again that he's not human. <laughs> and the witch says, Lord Jesus, how the old devil did run and beg. I'll bet they won't come here again with his old pistol to shoot me. I guess that's fun enough for tonight, General. And you can go to bed now. I'll come tomorrow night and show you another rascal in the crowd. Where does she go in between? Apparently, she could go anywhere in the world because sometimes she would go different places and come back and bring gossip to the family. <laughs> she's like a transistor radio. I don't know. Wow. She's... Okay. So Jackson was down to stay for a week and experience more hilarity, but everybody else in the party <laughs> got out of there the next morning. So he was all into this. Yeah, apparently. This is so funny. Uh, I have to admit, I was a little disappointed by the showdown. Yeah. But I think that it shows how much more powerful the legend of Andrew Jackson is than even the legend of the Bell Witch. Yeah. Instead of a showdown, there was a befriending. Yeah. 
you have to laugh at it because you'd think that he'd go in and battle this this creature, this dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only but, two ways that it could happen otherwise. Like, Andrew Jackson battles the Bell Witch and defeats her, and that's not all that satisfying either because... Or the Bell Witch defeats Andrew Jackson, which yeah. isn't satisfying or possible. No. Or be- the nightmares join and <laughs> right. have a love baby. A love baby, Yeah. Jackson and the Bell Witch. It's a romance. Yeah, it's a romance story, really. The thing about the story is there's no primary sources to back it up. It doesn't Mm, appear anywhere. But it's authenticated. It is. It doesn't appear anywhere until it's printed in this authenticated book. And there's also no evidence that Jackson ever visited the Bell family. I mean, could he have? Sure. And it's hard to prove something didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yet you're such a critic <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I don't mean to rain on the parade the rain on the paranormal parade yeah well you know I mean I I saw something very strange with one of my besties Nicole when we were in Vegas and we both saw it and it scared us both was it Carrot Top? <laughs> that would have been even scarier actually it's seen Carrot Top at the corner of our bed um and you know we have a friend currently who has a ghost cat who likes to cuddle up with her at night when she's awake and this ghost cat has also been talked about by a previous friend who's lived in the same room so um but you just <laughs> you just have this little smirk on your face like it's cute i can't i can't explain a ghost cat i can't explain a vegas ghost that appears to two people but, it, but it's authenticated by uh-huh. multiple people i can't the argue same with that. story different people yeah. Put it in a book like this. <laughs> I need a, a fake leather cover. You do. To me, the most haunting thing about this story is that there's a historical marker that makes it seem like it's all very oh, real. Oh, yeah. If it's put on a sign in metal, you know, and it's put up like a marker, there's a weird um, level of trust. Yeah, like stop. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a stop sign. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, really? <laughs> I don't know. Who put this up? <laughs> One Day University is a truly innovative company that just recently went online, making popular professors available to anyone with a computer or a smartphone. These professors are chosen based on the ratings of students throughout the country, from schools like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Columbia, UCLA, and more. One Day University has so many great talks about American history, the revolution, the founders, the founding mothers, the Civil War, and so much more. And it's not just history. They have great talks on psychology, science, business. Sometimes I wish I could go back to college just to pay attention to the really good lectures. Because <laughs> you didn't pay attention the first time around? I had mono and it was hard to get up in the morning. <laughs> One Day University is just about learning for the sake of learning. And every talk is just an hour, which is incredibly accessible and practical. Memberships are just seven ninety five a month. But for our listeners, you can try it for one month completely free. A free month of education. Every weekday, you can get a new live online talk with some of the world's best professors. And you get to access their entire video library and more. Just visit OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y and the letter U. And for that free month, enter promo code PLODDING, P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. This holiday season, give the gift of education. Yes. Free. For a month. For a month with plotting. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. G, I love you. Gee, I love you too. Please don't make me spell ever again. Okay. Our next story was brought to my attention by the great blog Boston 1775 by Mm. author and historian J.L. Bell Mm -hmm. uh, in his piece called The Afterlife of John Quincy Adams. Ooh. 
By the way, I might alternate between saying Quincy and Quincy. I know it's correct to say Quincy, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. So John Quincy Adams, he wrote in his diary from the time he was 12 up until the time that he died. But what if he didn't stop there? That would be your dream come true <laughs> if he wrote from the dead. In 1859, a book was published entitled 12 Messages from the Spirit of John Quincy Adams Through Joseph D. Stiles' Medium to Josiah Brigham. Oh, and, wow. Any questions? Um, that's a long title. Yeah. Yeah, I have lots of questions. I'll save them for after. Okay. So here's how the book starts. The messages contained in this book, coming from the immortal spirit of John Quincy Adams, the eternal, <laughs> were written out in manuscripts at various times at my house in Quincy, Massachusetts, during the last four years, through the hand of Joseph D. Stiles' medium, when in an entranced state and who, at the time of writing them, was unconscious of what was being written. Wow. So this book was published during the rise of spiritualism, mm-hmm. which was hugely popular. So spiritualism, it's, it's the belief that the dead are among us, and they can communicate with us. And not only that, but they're more evolved than us, and they have moral lessons to impart. Ooh. So like smart ghosts. Yeah. Wise ghosts. Yeah, like if we can somehow tap into the knowledge of those that have passed on, mm-hmm. we'll be able to live better lives. Mm-hmm. It all starts at a seance at Josiah Brigham's house six years after John Quincy Adams died. Brigham invited the medium, Joseph Stiles, to do his thing for a small group of five people. So Stiles, he starts automatic writing mm-hmm. as if he's channeling someone else entirely. And he writes a note for Brigham that says... I am glad you feel an interest in the cause of spiritualism, for it is a beautiful theory, which, when you can believe with sincerity, cannot but help to smooth the declivity of life. It is doubly sweet to me to communicate to you, because I do it under the roof where my spirit took its flight from the things of earth. And it was signed, Winslow Brigham, Josiah's dead brother. Ooh. So Josiah's like, whoa, I don't even know this medium. How did he know that I have a dead brother, Winslow? How did he know that Winslow died in this very house 40 years ago? Obviously, this man is for real. So is spiritualism because my dead brother endorsed it. (laughs) There's nothing specific about his dead brother in that statement. His name, where he died. Yeah, but this guy could have just asked around. Are you questioning this? (laughs) I'm not even a critic, but this sounds pretty... um, Unreal. Wow. Always a skeptic. (laughs) So a month later, Stiles is back at Brigham's house. And this time he wrote a very short note for Brigham's daughter. This note says, My friend, put this autograph with the one I sent you at your request to Mrs. Elizabeth A. Baxter from John Quincy Adams. So this time Brigham is like, whoa, how did this Stiles guy know that I actually got an autograph from John Quincy Adams as requested for my daughter years earlier? He then goes and finds it, and he compares the signatures and the handwriting, and they seem to be a perfect match. They didn't have con men back then, I guess. Oh, there have always been con men. They didn't think this might be some kind of con? How would he know his brother died? Okay, sorry. You're right. It's authenticated. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Not only is the handwriting in a perfect match, but it's in the same tremulous hand of an old man. Oh, yeah. Well, that explains that. Yeah. When I read that, it kind of made me sad because I thought that... You know, in the afterlife, it'd you don't be nice. want tremors when you're older. No, it'd be nice to kind of restore your agility a little bit if you're going to be, <laughs> you know, a ghost. Yeah, I agree. It'd be nice. But then the book explains why. Why the ghost is still fragile. Yes. It's because John Quincy Adams was purposely writing as he did in the last years of his life so that people would believe it was him. Mm. 
So these events turned Brigham, who said he was quite skeptical of spiritualism before this, into a believer. So now let's get to John Quincy Adams' insane adventures in the afterlife. Oh, okay. All right, back up to the living John Quincy Adams. After his miserable four years as president, he went on to be a member of the House of Representatives for 18 years, the only president to ever do that. Mm -hmm. And he was in the old house chamber in the Capitol where he had a stroke in 1848. Mm -hmm. And we were there in that very room. The very spot. Yeah. The very spot is where we were standing. And he, he died two days later in the sitting room just off the chamber. And according to this book, that's just the beginning. Hmm. Then his soul ascended to heaven on angel wings, which took about six hours of earthly time. Oh, my goodness. And then he gets angel to heaven. Angel wings. Okay. Yeah. He's looking around for about 20 minutes in heaven. And then this lit up cloud full of millions of immortals approaches him, singing the most beautiful music he'd ever heard. His mom and dad are there. And Abigail's kind of cold and pious, so that checks out. (laughs) Then Big Daddy John Adams welcomes him with a super appropriate greeting. He says, my faithful son, welcome to your new sphere of duty. Wow. So that's the Adams ethic. Like, you will work. (laughs) No matter where you are. (laughs) You will work, you will die, and then you will keep working. Even in heaven. And if you are not the president of heaven in five years, then you've got only (laughs) yourself to blame, you lazy angel baby. (laughs) He didn't say that last part, but... (laughs) Lazy angel baby. Yeah. I feel like this family is all pressure. I would not survive. (laughs) No, definitely. And some of them didn't. Some of them literally... Drank themselves to death. Yes. (laughs) Um, So then John Adams shows his son a glittering scroll of eternal life with the Declaration of Independence written on it, which I love because not only is John Adams second banana to Thomas Jefferson, even in heaven, but apparently there's no separation of church and state there either. (laughs) Good to know. Then a figure approaches in a military uniform. Everybody else is in white robes, but this person is still like wearing their military uniform. Oh, gosh. And Adams freaks out and gives him maybe an even better introduction than he gets in Hamilton. Adams says, And will not all who read this portion of my message become participators with me in my happiness? Will not their hearts thrill with unutterable joy when I pronounce the name of the brave, the noble, the chivalric, Gilbert Mortier de Lafayette? <laughs> and there are multiple exclamation points, so. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like a a production. Oh, my God. What I like most about this book is that it doesn't just present John Quincy Adams as a dead version of himself writing from some heavenly den. It follows him as he arrives in heaven. It shows him finding out that dead can communicate with the living and seeing how. So the first glimpses we get of him show that he, too, is a skeptic. Even Mm. though he's dead, he's skeptical that humans can communicate with the dead until John Hancock greets him and shows him a celestial telegraph, which works as a thin line of clarified electricity that goes from a dead person to the mind of a live human. So how do I, can you paint a picture of this for me in my head? Oh yeah, there's a scene in this book that reminds me of like David Lynch, like in the new season of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. John Quincy Adams is brought up above, hovering above this cottage, and Mm -hmm. there's a family, and then this 11-year-old girl goes into another room and starts doing her schoolwork. Right. And then there's this like group of angels, And this line of electricity goes down and it encircles her in like a halo Mm -hmm. of electricity. Oh, wow. And then she starts writing, 
but the what she's writing is coming from them, and John Quincy Adams can feel the energy of it. Oh wow! And this is John Hancock. Very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is all to make like why would they make this up? You know, how could they? it's so detailed? Mm-hmm. You could never make this up. Right. It's all part of that like exhausting you to the point where you're like, okay, I believe yeah, it. Yeah, that, that must have happened. Then you get to see a séance from the perspective of a new spirit. That's a new point of view. It's kind of cool. Get very often, right? John Quincy Adams and his spirit friends, led by John Hancock, they're floating in the air and they're passing currents of refined electricity to the table below. Hmm. And Adams tells us that it's hard to communicate with humans because it really takes a good pure medium to be able to carry the message, or at least he says, like attracts like. So a medium can't channel a spirit who's out of their league. Like, if you're a shitty person, you can channel a shitty spirit. <laughs> but you got to be a special brand of pious and intelligent and have a whole lot of magnetic energy to be able to effectively channel someone like John Quincy Adams. Well, it sounds like this medium is kind of advertising himself <laughs> just a little bit. Oh, this this book is like 80% advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's a passage from when John Quincy Adams got to communicate through a medium and what that looked like. I discovered that I was in rapport with the medium and nearly prepared to employ her organs of speech for the conveyance of my ideas to the circle. Yet ere I was fully prepared to do this, how great was my surprise as I became aware that her spirit was vacating its rightful earthly tenement in order to give place to my own. I now perceived that the system of the medium had passed from a positive into a negative condition, which, as I ascertained, was a result of the magnetic power which had been communicated to it, that I might gain easier access to her vocal organs and speak through them. Slowly did her beautiful and well-unfolded spirit depart from its youthful but frail casket, until only a thin liniment of light connected the immortal to the mortal and bound them together in the bond of union. And as her spirit slowly vacated its earthly tabernacle, so did I enter to take possession of it, to breathe through it unto those assembled children of earth, the deep and fervent outpourings of my immortal soul. Oh, wow, that is so cool. You never hear anything like that from the point of view of the spirit coming to the seance. Right. And just the idea of like someone's, you know, soul kind of standing by with a a glimmer of light while the other one takes it. I mean, that's just not something you hear or see. Yeah, it's like a 19th century uh, version of the scene in Ghost where Patrick Swayze learns how to move the soda can. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was thinking, how he like sits into her body at times. But you never see her move out. No. You know what I mean? So that's just a really cool either assumption or a way to describe it yeah it'd be cool if they had like a whole pottery collection that john quincy adams made (laughs) through this medium i just want to see this medium and john quincy (laughs) um you know doing some some sexy pottery together that's what i want (laughs) unfortunately all we get when he possesses her body is a long boring speech to the children of earth about the glory of god oh no yeah that's the thing this book is 400 pages and it's like a spiritualism fan fiction of the bible and american history meets the star wars christmas special there's just random cameos of famous people and weird boring monologues and bad poems Uh, i'm not going to pretend that i read the whole thing but a huge chunk of the book is devoted to praising god and jesus which is strategic very It's kind of a commercial for spiritualism and how it's totally compatible with Christianity. It's telling Christians, hey, if you want to get closer to Jesus and everyone you've ever lost who's in heaven, you better pay for all the seances. Yeah, it it just reminds me of playing upon people's grief, using their religion and their beliefs to then play on their grief. Absolutely. 
One fun part is that Adams comes across this giant galvanized battery, some kind of powerful machine with a big wheel in the middle spinning on its own. Where was the battery? So just in heaven as he's oh, wandering in around. Heaven. Yeah. He sees two words on it that he says make everything clear. Defecated electricity. Oh, yeah, that's so clear. Yeah, does that clear things up for you? Cleared things up right away for me. I was going to ask you, (laughs) what do you think of when you think of defecated electricity? And I asked you actually before this recording. Yeah, this was an assignment. Um, how I've been really enjoying season two so far because I've been getting little assignments and I've really been enjoying this kind of, you know, glimmer of control. <laughs> and so Howard wrote me a little note and I had to sit down and make a definition. While you're in heaven, you come across a large machine, some kind of giant battery. On it are the words defecated electricity. How would you define this term? And I wrote... An abundant purge of bolts from the sky known to the living as a lightning storm. Ooh, I like it. Very nice. Thank you. You know, I was really kind of grappling with how much of defecation I wanted to bring into the the definition. That's I decided to in keep all it my clean. writing I battle with that. <laughs> I bet and you if do. you look through the blog, you'll you'll find that uh scatological uh keeps coming up. <laughs> I bet it does. Yeah, so that's my definition. I love it. Good. I kept it pretty clean. I love it. And moody. I wanted it to be moody. Clean and moody. Clean and moody. Yeah. That's that's a good name. That's me. Yeah. Well, except for the clean part. <laughs> yeah. One, one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> Below those words on the battery, it says Benjamin Franklin. So Ben Franklin, working with Isaac Newton in heaven, created this defecated electricity machine to create a super pure electricity that could beam right down to Earth, specifically to Native Americans, including Pocahontas. I'm not exactly sure why. Okay, that's very bizarre. I don't, my, when I see defecated electricity and I, and I read this. What would your definition be? Well, I'm, I mean, I think there's something magical about thinking of electricity as angel poop harnessed by Ben See, Franklin. I was like, how do I turn this into angel poop? And you just did. Well, I couldn't do it. The lightning is good because everybody knows that thunder is, is farts, you know? <laughs> and so this just makes sense. Yeah. I'm totally, I'm coming around to this medium. The Styles guy, I think he's legit. <laughs> he's authenticated And okay. by Howard Dory. Yes, I, 100%. <laughs> to be fair, back then, defecated also meant something super pure. Mm. As um, to defecate means to clear something of dregs and make it pure. Oh, so it's like saying this electricity is so pure, it's defecated. It's the shit. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's the shit. That's why I mean the word purge to me seemed to really hit home. Are you thinking about that purge fluid from the last episode? <laughs> the purge that's fluid. All I've been about. <laughs> it's like what you've been thinking about day and night. Yes. Well, that's what I was thinking about when you told the bell story. I was like, is it purge fluid oh, man. inside the vial? Ooh, you know what? I'm, what? I'm going to say it is. It's, I mean, well, then it would kill the cat, too. So, yeah, I don't know. Would purge fluid kill an animal? Usually I'm against this, but I, there's only one way to find out. Okay. Where's the dog? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we don't have a that's dog. That's why we don't have a dog. <laughs> that's, why, that's exactly why. There's one last big presidential appearance in the book. Eventually, he meets George Washington. Oh, George Washington's in heaven, too, with a battery? Oh, yeah. And he, George Washington, isn't content to just greet him. He takes over Styles' body, and he writes his own happy ending. Oh. Basically, does it involve angel poop? It does not involve <laughs> angel poop, but it involves uh, an apology for not doing more about slavery and condemning it now. Hmm. Washington writes, 
I am aware that the holding of human beings in bondage was incompatible and at war with the mighty cause for which I was so vigorously contending, and gladly would I have rid myself of this incubus to my happiness, this source of deep mental anxiety. But the strong prejudices of that age were not easily surmounted, and they wound around me a fortress which my better feelings and impulses could not then storm. Hmm. I would hope that if you're going to do an apology mm-hmm. from George Washington, that maybe it would be better worded. He calls slavery an incubus to his happiness. How, what do you want him to say? I, I don't know. If, if you're going to compare it to an incubus, which is a demon who rapes you in your sleep, oh, maybe that's not... I maybe, didn't realize that's what an incubus was. Maybe the victim should not be Washington's happiness, but <sighs> the actual people in bondage. Right. And maybe uh, we should be worried less about his deep mental anxiety than the, you know, the torment human of the enslaved. human beings enslaved. Yeah. yeah. But I guess you can still be selfish and tone deaf in heaven. <laughs> or the medium can be. Yeah. I just suddenly really dislike this medium. You don't like Styles? I, I not your style. I mean, <laughs> Styles is. I mean, I just feel like I thought he was okay before, just maybe a little crazy or. Yeah, but now that or, he's anti-slavery, you're like, you know. <laughs> no, I just, I suddenly I'm realizing he's rewriting these characters. You know, it's just an undeserved power to rewrite history. Yeah, definitely. It's like it's fan fiction that's being passed off as as this real thing that George Washington is trying to say. Um, that passage actually became one of the more popular parts of the book later, as some people tried to use it to reconcile the heroic image of Washington with his role as a slave owner, mm-hmm. which people are still trying to reconcile. Right. Well, there's no reconciling it, really. No. It's just wrong. But if you'd like to reconcile it, you, you've you got this book and this apology, I guess. <laughs> this book was not the only book of its kind. It was actually part of a burgeoning genre of automatic writing. There, there are sequels? No, 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 no. But there were other books that came before by different authors that purported to be from like founding fathers or famous people, usually from Jesus himself. I just don't like these people. No? I Yes. Like I said, I, I'm having a very strong reaction to people who think they should be able to write history. I have a reaction to anybody who has actually published a book. Like, who do you think you are? You know, show off. Like, oh, oh, you finished it? Yeah. And somebody thought it was good enough to put on paper? That's called jealousy. Sigh. Um, but unlike all those other books, this is actually the only one where the original notebooks from the medium still exist. Ooh. Yeah, and that's because at one point, Harry Houdini acquired them, and then they ended up in the Library of Congress. A man named John Benedict Busher, um, he analyzed these notebooks, and he compared them to the final manuscript, and he found that there were a lot of differences. Oh, no. So the version of the book that we have might not be the pure defecated, unadulterated word <laughs> of John Quincy Adams. It's not authenticated. No. This was the last book that Joseph Stiles ever wrote. Mm, what happened to him? He went on to become a performing medium. Oh, of course he did. Yeah. And he just clearly wanted the fame and, and, just, and the money. He was doing shows in front of audiences while under trance as a host of characters, mostly as a Native American named Swift Arrow. He would, what? Yeah. He would, he would perform in this character that he was channeling. So he channeled anti-slavery messages from Washington, but then took on cultural appropriation <laughs> during his shows. I don't He's know very that confusing. That, I don't know that that concept was really a thing back then. I think that, if anything, it might have been like, hey, we all know that Native Americans are more in tune with the earth and these wise spirits. And, so I'll pretend I'm a Native American? Um, he pretended, or maybe really did, channel the spirit of a Native American who had passed on. 
Styles would banter with the crowd and tell jokes, and he would call forth members of the audience and then give them messages from their loved ones. It was like, I don't know if you know the, you remember the talk show with John Edwards? Yeah. Very much like that, except apparently this guy was funnier. He was like a 19th century <laughs> carrot top. Um, <laughs> it is fascinating, though. How does that work even? You know, how do, they, know. How do they do that? You got to be convincing and probably use vague things. And there, there's lots of techniques that have been talked about, like how these people do it. But it's it's so, these I mean, people. it's like a magician, you know. Yeah, it's, it does sound it's, like a magic show. Yeah. And he was apparently pretty good. His John Quincy Adams book was basically a, a curiosity, like a relic of its time when we thought that new technology, mediums and spiritualism and discoveries like electricity might bring us closer to the other side and to those that we've lost. Mm, science and the paranormal yeah. merge. And spiritualism is not dead. No. <laughs> no. Mediums and psychics are still a huge business. It's like a $2 billion industry in the U.S. alone. Wow. And one medium recently shared some new insights on the truth behind the Bell Witch. Oh. Yeah. A, a current medium? A current medium. How does she know? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> She's talking um, to the Bell Witch? I was trying to locate a source on the Bell Witch that I'd read about, like cited somewhere, and I couldn't find it, and I didn't want to like pay a bunch of money for the book, <laughs> unlike the authenticated <laughs> The $2 history authenticated of the Bell Witch. <laughs> uh, so I found a Facebook group devoted to the Bell Witch. And I asked on there if anyone had that book. And a very kind woman responded to me. She actually sent me pictures of the pages I was looking for. And we That's got to nice. Yeah. We got to talking and I said that I didn't really believe the Andrew Jackson story. And she said that she did believe it. Mm. And I thought I thought I gotta dig into this. <laughs> you know, it's like my job now. It's okay. fine. So I said, you know, I'm curious why you believe that. And <laughs> You're such a critic. No, I, this is me being nice. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and she responded, do you believe in the paranormal? Right. That's my question to you as well. Well, I'm at this point, I'm thinking like back to Ghostbusters and Ray. Remember when they yell at him and they say, if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> so I said, I'm, I'm open to anything. <laughs> Which is a lie. <laughs> I'm open to hearing about anything. Well, you're open to hearing How about it. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? You're open to hearing about it, yes. And you like hearing about it. So I say I'm open to anything. Mm -hmm. And she says, call me. Mm -hmm. And I can't call her then. There's like kids crawling on top of me. Our kids. Um, oh, good. I'm glad you don't have families I don't know about. No, it's hard in COVID to juggle my secret family. Um, and I say, uh, I'll call you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's that was the night the raccoons came. Oh, the raccoons. Yeah. This is such a funny story. I still I still haven't even finished processing I, what on earth happened to you. I thought I heard someone or something outside our bedroom window at night, middle of the night. Maybe I, this is your experience. I heard rustling. Your paranormal experience. I don't think so. I think there's an explanation. <laughs> um, but there was rustling. There was a sound of like pushing on the gate to our backyard. I'm a very light sleeper, but I slept through you all You slept this. through this totally. I stumbled out of bed. I turned on the outside light, and I lifted one of the blinds to look out and see what was mm -hmm. going on. And there were like three or four big raccoons on top of the kids' water table. They were either like drinking the water, or maybe they were enacting some ritual. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm like, Ugh. I went to get my phone to take a picture. And I did. And right after I took the picture, they all scattered and left, and they were mm -hmm. gone. The next morning, I remember it, and I'm telling you about it, and I remember the picture. And I see the picture of our backyard taken at 4.35 a.m., 
And there are no raccoons. <laughs> the water table is in the picture and intact, but there's no raccoons in the picture. So later that day, I knew I had to call this woman. <laughs> <laughs> did you tell her the raccoon story? I did not. Oh, but why I'm not? Like, this is like your one <laughs> singular experience with paranormal activity. I don't think this was a paranormal story. You think but you it, dreamt the raccoons? Well, I thought if I don't call this woman, I don't want to see what happens tonight. <laughs> um, so later that day, she I... She sent raccoons to you, <laughs> to your dreams. I called her and she was very sweet. Um, clearly not some kind of raccoon controlling witch. (laughs) Um, She told me about the psychic Angel Lee. Mm -hmm. Now she'd heard that Angel knew things that she couldn't possibly know. And there was something that in her triggered the idea that she's the real deal. Like Angel Lee is a real psychic. I believe what she says. um, This is what the person said to you. Yes. Okay. And according to Angel Lee, who visited the location of the original bell haunting in 2015, Andrew Jackson was definitely there. She brought a notebook on the scene and she scrawled his name in it several times, which is kind of like automatic writing and the next best thing to... Authentication. Yes. Angel Lee, by the way, claims that Betsy Bell spoke to her and told her the true story of what happened. Well, this definitely sounds like a real psychic. So the land was cursed, according to Angel Lee, or according to the spirit of Betsy, who spoke to Angel Lee. Mm Mm-hmm. And a spirit had been tormenting Betsy, but the Bell Witch did not kill her father. Apparently, it was one of their slaves who had killed John Bell because John couldn't protect young Betsy from one of the other family members who was molesting her. Oh my gosh, there's another movie that's that took this story. It's possible. Oh, it's so disturbing. Well, then let's not go there. No, the story is disturbing. Oh, oh, yeah. And we're, and we're, we're definitely already go- We're already there. And we're, <laughs> we're going. We're, we're going there. Um, so when when told this theory, Bob Bell, who is the fifth great grandson of John Bell, he said it makes sense. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Is that an admittance? I I'm of what, something that his great 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 grandfather did. Oh. I don't know how he would know, but apparently to him, it made sense. So yeah, Angel Lee. I have so many questions. I don't know. The story of this witch's weird-ass behavior, it didn't make any sense before. Mm -hmm. Like, she hates Betsy, then she kills her father, then she loves Betsy, then she makes Betsy break up with her fiancé, and then she leaves Betsy alone. And if we're introducing molestation into the story, why not just have the witch be the hero and kill John Bell herself to save his daughter? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I don't know. It's very confusing. Um... There's some things we're never going to know for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's my pleasure to shine some light on them. Yes. Or at least some defecated electricity. (laughs) Where Um, would we be without your defecated electricity? I shudder to think. (laughs) There's so many haunted stories about the presidents out there. And maybe we'll explore some more another time. The Historical AF podcast. Mm -hmm. um, It's got some good White House ghost stories in their Presidencies Part 3 episode. You might want to check oh, that cool. out. I love that podcast. I know. Jess and I were actually on their Presidencies Part 1 episode talking about just how hard it was to kill Andrew Jackson. Like so, a horror movie. Yeah. Definitely give that a listen. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to be back with a non-supernatural story. Mm. Or I guess just plain natural. <laughs> um, we're going to explore the pure unbridled hate between two founders. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell your friends, consider joining our Patreon family for exclusive extras like cutscenes, bloopers, bonus podcasts, 
You can reach out to us on our Facebook page for Plotting Through the Presidents or at plotpod.com. Thank you for plotting. Thank you. The Eternal.